Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League, PSG bring the thunder, Liverpool blunder, Atletico quite literally gaze in wonder as Chelsea put them under. And Man United tear Seska asunder. Rare that a visitor to Moscow enjoys dominance with such a golden performance. Unless you're in the presidential suite, of course. We marvel at the midweek thrills and spills, then look ahead to the weekend. United host Palace, Huddersfield try and halt Harry Kane. Burnley visit Everton, but above all, Man City visit Chelsea. All of that plus questions, a bit of Italy toil and trouble for the witches of the South, and France as PSG meet up with the league's other young superstar. It is the Totally Football Show. And on your Totally Football Show today, it's a big welcome back to Michael Cox. Hello, James. Zonalmarking.net. That's the one. The domain hasn't expired yet. All right. And general football expertise with some big things to say about the uh, midweek action. James Horncastle. That's me. Who's been all up in that Champions League match day two. And Julien Laurent. Bonjour. And, and Julien, congratulations are in order. Thank you. Also, you had a baby this uh, last week. Yes, yeah. nine days ago. Thank you. All right. But of course, you got a big grin on your face, which has been there pretty much since yesterday. Yes, James. I have to say, as a PSG fan, uh, it was a wonderful evening yesterday against Bayern Munich. One of those that I think put a marker down, you know, for other big clubs in Europe saying, you know, you have to take them seriously. You have mm. to take Paris seriously because... Everything was not perfect, but they looked so, so good. Didn't they, though? The last time I saw them look this good was when they beat, do you remember, Barcelona last, last year in the Champions uh, League? That went well for them, No, I can't. No, no, you're right. You're is right. This different, it's different. It's a different team. Okay. It is a different team. Uh, there's certainly more experience in that team with Dani Alves and, and Neymar coming in. Uh, you've got the Mbappe factor that you didn't have last season. For example, you also have... Another way of playing on the counter-attack, which they were mostly unable to do before in the Ibrahimovic years, mm. but, but also last season, uh, despite Unai Emery trying to get them to play with, with more pace in transition, to play a bit more on the counter, they just couldn't do it really. We saw against Bayern on Wednesday night that they're just becoming very good at it, so they can play in possession when they have to, mm. away at Celtic, for example, where they had loads of the ball. And, and, and score five goals but also when they're a bit under pressure when the other team has the ball and that was the plan from Emery on Wednesday night they knew that Bayern would have a lot of the ball they knew they would come to play football so they knew they would hit them on the counter and that's exactly what they did Yeah, I gave up counting after I think 16 corners for, for Bayern Munich but for them to have that many opportunities with the likes of Lewandowski waiting around in the area and not get a single goal from it speaks volumes I guess about, well, either they're finishing or PSG's solidity at the back. Of course, as you were saying before, there's only two words we need for this game. One is Killian, and the other one is Mbappé. Michael, I know you were watching the Chelsea game, so I don't know why I'm even looking at you, <laughs> but he's astonishing. Yeah, there's been lots of focus upon the two big names, in Mbappé and Neymar. But I think maybe an equally important signing for this season, at least, is Dani Alves, who's a player... Obviously, he's experienced uh, incredible success at Barcelona. We saw his impact at Juventus last year. And I think people can overlook the fact that, OK, he's not as big a name as Neymar. But this is a player who's, who's one of the best right-backs of all time. And he scored the first goal last night. He had a hand in the, the second two. And the thing about him is, is he's not just dynamic and, and quick and good at getting up and down. He's really good on the ball. I think for other sides, he could play as a midfield player, central midfield player. Um, and we saw that yesterday, a couple of really good penetrative passes. He's just given them a different dimension, I think. Lovely. But Mbappé, eh, Jules? <laughs> eh? Incredible. I mean, I don't know. We've talked some, so much about him in the last 
nine months really since that breakthrough. But yesterday it felt like he kicked it on another level. Yeah, and he, you know he's got eight matches in the Champions League, so he's he's only eighteen. Let's we have to keep reminding each other he's only eighteen. But eight eight Champions League matches with Monaco and PSG, seven goals, one assist. <sighs> Yesterday, you can even maybe count the, the Neymar goal as an assist from him because he, he humiliated David Alaba with that little trick before the Neymar's goal. It's just incredible. And it's the intelligence, it's the maturity, it's the movement as well, on the ball, off the ball, the skills, obviously the talent is there, but it's just how quickly he's adapted to a whole new environment with, with more pressure than a Monaco, with more expectations than a Monaco as well. And it, it's never easy to come home as well. You know, this is his club and this is his team. Mm. And his, his hometown, and for him to come back with all that, all the talks about the money, the transfer, all like like I said, all the the pressure, the expectation. I, I think he's doing amazing work. Wow, Neymar never got a look in for the Ballon d'Or at Barca because of course Messi was there, and you have Ronaldo. Is is it possible that the player who does break their duopoly will be another PSG he teammate, will... Mbappe himself? Yeah, I, I mean, going to say Cavani. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of of course, if France, let's say, if he has a, a great role in in France, doing well at the World Cup, for example. You know, Mbappe and PSG doing well with Mbappe putting performances like he did against Bayern. You know, he he would, he would get closer and closer. He's not yet in, I think, the, the Neymar, Messi and Ronaldo dimension, but he's getting closer right. and closer. And there's, there was something funny at the end of the game, him and Frank Ribéry were having a chat on the touchline. And the, the thing about Mbappe is he talks like a 40-year-old. He really talks like if he was 40. And, uh, and Ribéry is far more streetwise, if you want. And the joke, especially on, on social media, on Twitter, was to imagine what they were saying. And people had, had Ribéry talking like, you know, like in the hoods. And, and in, in return, Mbappe is saying, but sir, you know, let's not get carried away with, with like really posh words. And that's exactly where Mbappe is. And it's so funny that he's only 18. And one is so good on the field. And off the field, he's just so measured and... And intelligent in everything he does. Right, George, you're a happy man. <laughs> I am indeed. Yeah. Let's talk about Ancelotti then, because he was already in trouble before this game. It was a real shot. Bayern Munich firing their manager in September. Some doubt about who'll be taking over. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann's always been lined up for this, Jules, no? Yeah, for, for next for next season. So arriving in the summer where it was quite clear that whatever happened this season, Carlo Ancelotti wouldn't continue as a Bayern manager, although he's got another year mm. left on his contract and that Nagelsmann would come from Hoffenheim. Yeah, when, when Nagelsmann outcoached Ancelotti earlier this season, he came out and he said, uh, oh, I'm building a house in Munich. Uh, I'm from Munich. My wife loves it in Munich. <laughs> <laughs> so many hints, like, you know, yeah. That sounds was in Hoffenheim, like, like it was in 2-0. Paris. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> well, um, anything uh, but a show support from the Bayern players after the game. I and Robin asked if the, uh, if the Bayern squad was behind the coach. Robin said, I won't answer this question. Although, I guess he could be trying to not dignify it with a response. But Rafa uh, Honigstein on the goal show, particularly damning, saying, uh, I don't think anyone at Bayern thought it... It was possible that all of their positional and possession play could disappear so quickly, which I guess is why the club had decided to, to act now. Ancelotti, the story is not particularly concerned either way. He didn't look very bothered ahead of this game, did he? No, I was really surprised. He was obviously coming back to Paris where he had such a great time there, uh, you know, between 2011 and 2013. But before the game in the tunnel, he was literally waiting there for the PSG players to come out of their dressing room and kissed and hugged every. And each one of them, Marco Verratti, he spent a few minutes with him and, you know, like speaking to him and kissing him so many times. And I was like, OK, maybe just wait for that for the end of the match, maybe. But he looks so relaxed and he's always been very laid back. But that was like proper 
proper relays before such a big game. Why do you think he struggled so much at Bayern? I think replacing Guardiola is very difficult in terms of, you know, Guardiola is just so intense and he's his training sessions just force players to kind of think so much and he teaches them. Uh, Ancelotti's not really one for developing that kind of football. He's a kind of laissez-faire manager, gets the big players on board. Although that's the weird thing, that he hasn't. He, you've had Lewandowski speaking out about him or, or about the club. You've certainly had Thomas Muller complaining gladly about him. Yeah, I mean, the Muller thing, I think, was sourness that he wasn't playing really mm. the Lewandowski thing is more significant I agree yeah. alright well all of this potentially very good news for Celtic who will be facing Bayern Munich home and away next Celtic who had a 3-0 win at Anderlecht this midweek that's only their second ever away win in the Champions League they're now level on points with Bayern should they should they pick up something in those games and you know the way they played at home last season you, who would put it past them you could see a managerless Bayern slipping into the third spot and and the Europa League. And, of course, Arsenal fans, you know how this ends. <laughs> <laughs> the team is dropping into the Europa League at the moment from the Champions League. It's only match day two. Juventus, Atletico Madrid, Borussia Dortmund, Monaco, Napoli. Can you just imagine that? I mean, particularly in that uh, that group of death that uh, you see Spurs, Real Madrid and, and, and Dortmund in. And now, to a, maybe to a lesser extent, the Chelsea... Roma Atletico one as well. It's um, it could be quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget that last season Real Madrid drew Alessia Warsaw three all, for example, couldn't beat Borussia Dortmund and still went on to win the Champions League. So yeah, Bayern were were well beaten last night. They had in the first half it was not so bad. Mm. I thought they were the, the way they played, the way they reacted after the first goal. You know, and and yes, they've they've been you know average in the league as well at times. But let's let's just not. You know. Fair point, Jules. Yeah. And they were carried away like you did yesterday. No, 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 but I was happy. Of course, I was, you know, I was happy. One, one other thing we should mention after kind of being a little bit voyeuristic and, 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 and dwelling on that whole business of Cavani and Neymar and the bust-up, etc., quite, quite uh, heartwarming scenes between them, the embraces between the Brazilian and the Uruguayan on the turf at the Parc des Princes last night. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I watched the, the game again when I, when I got home and there was, there was stuff that... The times where Cavani didn't have to go to Neymar, there was a, a time just after uh, after the start of the second half when Neymar had a shot missed, and Cavani went and, and sort of like hooked him. There was a few things like that that he didn't have to do, and maybe it was a bit forced, or maybe it was not so natural. But you know, let's see, let's see how it goes. I think in all dressing rooms you've got tensions. All big, e- all big players with big egos have tensions, you mm. know. And Neymar went to have a party as he often does after after a big game, and he went to a little restaurant in the first arrondissement in Paris, Ferdi which is really nice and really trendy. Edison Cavani was not there, but do you know who was there? Lenny Kravitz. Really? And they partied together with Lenny Kravitz. That's, that's my little uh, gossip, gossip of the day. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, Cavani on the score sheet, of course, against Bayern, which has made him part of an exclusive Champions League club. You have a stat for us, I think, Julian. I do. It's even a pub quiz question, really. Right. You ready, Michael? Only the fifth player yes. to have scored in six consecutive Champions League matches. All right. Michael, can you give us the other four? I think one is Ronaldo, yeah. Cristiano. Yeah. I know the kind of pointless answer, so to speak, <laughs> is, is Marouane Chamac. Well done. Uh, I'm struggling on the... Oh, um, was it the guy who was at Olympiacos? Uh, Mitroglou? Fulham. Was he no. No. no, but it's, it's someone like this. We've got two more to go, haven't we? Is one of them quite... Is it Messi? One, no. Oh. Rude Van Nistelrooy. Yeah, yeah. And one Turkish striker. Oh, Yemas. Yemas. Yeah, Burak Yemas, who had that incredible spell at some point. At some point. Who remembers? And if, if Lewandowski had scored... Yes. 
he would have been part of he would have been the sixth to have done it as well but he didn't score because PSG was just so good defensively voilà voilà wow so PSG roll on and uh, mixed uh, week for France with Monaco's ongoing collapse we'll look at that a little bit later on Bayern as I mentioned one of three German sides losing all the three Italian sides won it's quite big isn't it uh, as you mentioned going above Germany in the coefficient now for now uh, mixed times for Portugal Premier League did pretty well only Liverpool dropping points but the performance of the round some would say or perhaps even more than that came from Chelsea and we'll look at that after this Tweet us at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Here's Michael Cox on the Twitter. One of the best away performances I've seen in Europe in recent years. Talking there about Chelsea and their 2-1 victory at the newly inaugurated Wanda Metropolitano uh, against Atletico Madrid. Somebody on Football 365 calling it the best Champions League win this decade. Why were you so impressed with a narrow win? Because Atletico have tremendous pedigree in this competition. I think tactically they're one of the best teams have been for the last five years. And it was just the control that Chelsea had. I mean, Atletico didn't have one chance, really. They scored a penalty because David Luiz, you know, did a really unnecessary shirt pull. But I think uh, Chelsea's system, they switched to a kind of 3-5-1-1. They had... Hazard, who was absolutely electric, uh, floating behind Morata, who was really good, always on the shoulder of the defence. And I think Conte just got the better of, of Simeone, who's just, you know, so rarely outclassed tactically at this level. There was a couple of nice little switches. He started with Bakayoko in the holding role. And there's been a lot of kind of focus upon the fact Chelsea let Matic go and, and question why they did. And maybe it's strange to let him go to a tight rival. But Bakayoko is an upgrade on Matic. He's a much better player. He's better in possession. I think positionally he's more disciplined. But then Conte did a very interesting switch where he moved Fabregas, who was playing in a more advanced role, uh, behind Bakayoko and Kante. So he had Bakayoko and Kante kind of pressing further forward. Why did he do that? Because uh, he wanted to get Fabregas on the ball in deeper positions. Atletico didn't really have anyone in that zone playing as a number 10, uh, kind of marking him. And it reminded me a lot of how Conte played at Juventus with mm, Pirlo yeah, in that yeah. role and then Vidal and, and Pogba playing their kind of pressing roles. But it was just, I mean, even the fact that Chelsea won it with a last minute goal, I think will just give them a tremendous boost psychologically. They probably could have won that game 3-0 and been comfortable by half time. But when you go away, you know, in Europe and you win with the last kick of the game, it will just give them such a lift and the supporters as well will have had a great time. I think it's, you know, it reminded me of uh, when the Premier League teams were really on top in Europe and you had, uh, you know, I remember Arsenal going away to Real Madrid and winning 1-0. Those were the days. Yeah, Manchester United uh, away at Roma, really good performance, just not letting the opposition have a sniff and then creating constant chances. You don't really see that much in Europe anymore. Mm. Costa's face at the end, James. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was the performance of the night and that was the picture of the night uh, from of Costa. Um, and you have to say that at this present moment in time, um, Chelsea looks to have done rather well out of that deal um, because I think to get what could be in total, what, 65 million euros um, for a player who is, is 29. So they've made money on, on Costa because uh, they bought him for around 40. And Morata, I mean, has just been brilliant. Uh, for them I think gives them a lot I think a lot of people were wondering whether Chelsea would lose a player who could kind of receive the ball around the halfway line and then turn and drive at defenders but uh, we saw Morata do that on an occasion last night we've seen him do it in the past for Juventus or Bayern Munich and 
I think Morata in games like that, he's just got this great pedigree of scoring in big games and big European nights, and he did that again. Well, Chelsea next up will be hosting Man City back in the Premier League on Saturday. Conte less than happy about playing so soon after his trip to Madrid, but a massive game this, of course, for both clubs. Chelsea with the chance to pull level with the early high flyers, and we have seen City held before by Everton, of all people, so... What do we anticipate happening here? I think it'll be goals. I think it'll be a very open game. I, I think the first meeting between them last season was probably the best game of last year when Chelsea won 3-1 at the Etihad. Um, I'm just really looking forward to the game. I think it also features probably the two best players in the Premier League at the moment in Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne. Right. Uh, I think it'll be a close game, but yeah, I think it'll be open and plenty of goals. Tom Johnson says, with Hazard returning and Morata on Fire, surely Otamendi stones it, Al. Don't stand a chance on Saturday evening. Well, to be honest, City have been kind of much better uh, defensively since they shifted away from playing a back three um, to a back four. But of course, I think in this fixture last year, I think we saw Guardiola try and match up um, with um, Chelsea and play a kind of 3-4-3. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of um, decision uh, from a tactical point of view that Guardiola does whether he sticks with this system that they've been playing um, to great effect really uh, um, at the moment or or try and yeah, tailor make this this game plan for Chelsea City with that tremendous record coming into the midweek game 16 goals scored in three matches two against uh, a surprisingly feisty looking Shakhtar Donetsk team who certainly had chances themselves as well but this is actually the first time ever that Man City have won their first two group games in the Champions League so that's impressive how much is the absence of Bernard Mendy oh I'm sorry Benjamin Mendy going to cost them <laughs> it's a huge blow it's a huge blow we saw Fabian Delph playing a left back against Shakhtar Danilo has played um, has played there against Palace when when Mendy got injured replaced him so it'll be interesting to see what what Pep does uh, on on Sunday against Chelsea on Saturday against Chelsea if he goes with we, I probably will go for Danilo I would be surprised if Delph starts a left back in, a, in a, it's such a big game but it's a big blow not just because you know offensively Mendy brings you a lot and that's that's what he does he's so powerful going forward but but I think I think also there was already a good understanding between him and 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 um and Leroy Sané, for example, we've seen that when they were playing together, even with him and Sterling, you know, even with, with David Silva, who's often the, the one in, on the left side of that midfield three. So it is a huge blow. And, and you know, that's what you do, though. When you don't buy a backup left back in the summer, or if you thought that Danilo could do that job, we'll see if, if he can really do that job. Big test as well for Pep Guardiola, a contest you were describing, able to switch things around so effectively during games. Do, is that something we see from Guardiola as much? Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. I mean, there's lots of in-game tweaks with with Guardiola. I, I think what he'll do this weekend is a, a big question because I feel like he might want to match up um, Chelsea's system with the three at the back, but they don't have company mm. and they don't have Mendy, so I don't really think they can play that way. I think they're going to have to stick with the the back four. Um, but they have got such great attacking options. Um, it was good to see Sterling, you know, involved again in in the goals. He's had a great start to the season and. Uh, you know, I think there was real speculation just before the end of the transfer window that he might be on his way, but he's he's been one of City's best players so far this season. Mm. I think that was one of the little takeaways from midweek in the Champions League was the impact that uh, depth that both these sides have um, had on their respective games because you saw Bernardo Silva and Sterling come off the bench and combine for um, the second goal. And obviously, um, Batshuayi 
Um, come on, get to get to the winner for Chelsea. Batsman. Batsman. Could, could Conte play the same formation against City than he did at Atletico, which means that having a you know Fabregas, Bakayoko, and Conte in midfield, because you know that that's where City will be very good as well. Or do you think it doesn't really work at home in a game like that? I think he might do, but I'd be surprised if he played Fabregas in that deep role, um, just because he'll be after having to pick up De Bruyne and Silva, and I don't think uh, I don't think that will be a, a good option for Chelsea. But uh, I'm really excited to see Hazard playing as a number ten, because I thought there was a few games last season, towards the end of last season, when he got marked out of the game by um, Herrera in particular, Old Trafford, and I wasn't sure that you know, I was surprised he didn't seem to be showing that intelligence to move across the pitch and get away from his man. But when he's playing as a number 10, he seems to have license to drift around. And, you know, he wasn't the one who won the game yesterday. But in the first half hour, he was the one who really put them in control and completely dominated um, Thomas Partey, who had a really difficult game. Surprised not to see Gabby in there. I think Gabby's always big for Atletico. Partey mm-hmm. pooper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, what, we're not going to better that are we in terms of analysis so uh, there you go Chelsea Man City absolutely huge game uh, this Saturday tea time Totally Football Live yeah that's right Totally Football Show is going on the road Wednesday November the 8th at the Glee Club oh I can confirm the lineup. some of the lineup. Ian McIntosh will be there James yeah and you'll be doing a selection of tracks from your greatest hits, including You've Got That Ibe, A La A La A La Dice, <laughs> and, you know, a bit of Wham probably as well. Uh, get your tickets at glee.co.uk. More than half have gone already. More than half. But if you miss out on that, listeners, don't worry, because we're going to be mopping up any remaining resistance at the O2 Arena on Friday, November the 29th. That's in London. It's in the little bit of the O2 Arena, the Indigo. That's exciting. Ian's going to be on that one as well. It's almost like it's contractual or something. Rafa Honigstein <laughs> joining him. Uh, if you're listening, by the way, to this on Thursday, then we've already got early bird tickets available at axs.com slash UK slash events. But if you're listening on Friday, get along to theo2.co.uk. There's all that information on our Facebook page, Totally Football Show. Liverpool and Man United in Moscow this midweek. Liverpool, as I mentioned before, the only one of the Premier League sides not to come home with a victory. Another draw for them uh, after their uh, initial um, 2-2 with uh, Sevilla, uh, this time at Spartak. And there's been a major shift, a quantum shift, if you like, of the the narrative vis-a-vis Liverpool. Loads of people, Ken Early, for example, explaining that it's not the defending anymore. The fact that once again Spartak scored with a set piece doesn't matter. It's not the defending anymore. It's the finishing. And the stats do make pretty compelling reading. Uh, In their last six games, in which Liverpool have only won once, they have had 126 shots to the opposition's 49, but they've only scored seven while they've conceded 12, i.e. they can convert, James, 5.55% 5.55% and their opposition they allow to convert 24% well that's a problem isn't it oh yeah I mean that. what's the XG I don't know well I mean if, if Liverpool are taking a lot of low percentage shots then you know you'd expect them to not score many goals but right. um, they should have won this game though, shouldn't they yeah oh yeah they should they should have they had plenty of chances plenty of control of it as well 
I think Spartak had two shots on target, one being the, the free kick that led to the goal where Karius should have done better probably and, and another one in the second half that Karius saved. But apart from that, it was all about Liverpool. The Fab Four started, Mane, Salah, Firmino and Coutinho all together for the first time this season in, in an official match. Lasted for 70 minutes until uh, Mane was taken off. They had a moment of brilliance and the Coutinho goal is a one-two with, between him and Mane, for example. Mm-hmm. I think Salah was involved a lot, missed a, a big chance with a header towards the end. But they would, have, they would have to take the chances and there's something Klopp, there's, there's nothing Klopp can do about making them work even harder. They're finishing at training, but he can't be there on the pitch for, for them to score. So it's a worry because I've got another start about shots. In All the right. two Champions League matches, mm-hmm. they had 40 shots. And again, it depends what kind of shots from where, etc., etc. But still, 40, 40 shots, shots on target. 40 shots in those two games uh-huh. on and off target. Oh, okay. And they couldn't win either of those games against Sevilla and against, against Spartak. And right. And it has to be it has to be a worry, but at least the Fab Four looked right. In the the game Fab like this. Four, as you mentioned, a lot of excitement when the team sheet was unveiled in in Moscow, featuring Coutinho, Firmino, Salah, and Mane. But is is that really a formation that works for them? Is it unbalanced? No, I don't think it's unbalanced. No, but uh, the, the problem with the defending and the attacking, uh, you know, not defending set pieces, not scoring goals. In a way, it's the same problem. You know, he's he's built a team. That is basically a team of midfield players, a team who can press, a team who's very good at playing passing combinations. But you don't have players who specialise in the penalty boxes. So it's exactly the same problem he had in his final season at Dortmund. When Dortmund were in the relegation zone until Christmas, and yet you watched the game and they played really well. They pressed really well, they won the ball quickly, they created lots of chances. But they don't have big men at the back. Well, they don't have players who excel in the penalty boxes, and that's where games are won and lost. Mm. You know, Liverpool are going to dominate every game, but they don't have... You know, Firmino is not a natural goal scorer, and I'm not sure some of the defenders are natural defenders. You look at Matip, okay, he's played in defence for a few years, but often played in midfield in Germany as well. So it's a deliberate approach to, to structure the team in the sense that they're all comfortable in midfield. They don't have they don't have players at either end. Do you know who would have sorted this out? Rafa Benitez. <laughs> well, I wonder how many Liverpool fans will be casting an envious eye across at the Newcastle bench at St James's Park? Because, good lord, that's where Liverpool are going to be going this weekend to take on their much loved former manager. What a game that could be, eh? One win in six. Are they going to improve those figures away at St James's Park, Julian? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the kind of game where. The opposition will play. That's the thing. That's where that's where they're good at because they've got spaces up front for for Mane and Salah. It'd be interesting to see if those fab, if the Fab Four starts again uh, in a, in another away game. I think it was easier for Klopp to put them against Spartak because Spartak is just such a bad team. They're really bad. They're really average. Uh, he might not do it against away at Newcastle because there might be a bit more pressure in midfield. They, you know, they, they, but if he does, I think they will have spaces ahead of them to exploit and. And I think it'd be, it'd be very interesting for them. It's the kind of game where they do well, I think. They conceded 10 goals in the last three away. They've, of course, the bulk of those coming uh, at Manchester City. Newcastle won the last two at home. 3-0 against West Ham. 2-1 against Stoke. Are you, how, how convinced are you by what Rafa Benitez has been able to do with, a? I think everyone agreed, a, a, a below-par squad? Yeah, I think he's done a good job in terms of bringing the structure and the discipline and the usual Benitez things. I'm not sure that they have the attackers really to to maintain it. Mitrovic a push could be back, the... do you think, this weekend? Yeah, maybe he could be useful. I think the interesting player here is uh, Perez, who plays the number 10 role. Mm. It's usually the one position where Benitez likes a little bit of flair. 
Um, but Perez has been given a role where he's all about discipline. He's all about pressing. I think that could be interesting against Jordan Henderson this weekend because I think Henderson's had a very poor start to the season. Was excellent last year in his first year in that holding role. But I think Perez is the kind of player who will really cause him problems with and without the ball. So uh, I think Newcastle will score, but I think Liverpool will create chances. And I don't think their poor conversion rate will go on forever. I think eventually they'll start to score goals. And... Uh, They'll be playing Sturridge, I expect, which could be a good thing because he is, and I know he missed a chance the other night, but he's a, he is he's a, a good finisher. Player, right. And he's got a very good record at uh, St. James's Park as, as well. Does he? I think he's scored in his last five there. Question for you, Jules. This from producer Ben. Newcastle, only Arsenal have had more French players than they've had at St. James's Park. Why? What is it about Newcastle that makes the French flock there? Uh, because when Graham Carr was there, he's not there anymore, but when yeah, Graham Carr was there, he... Uh, he, he recognised very early that the French market w- could be very interesting for English clubs. Him and Arsene Wenger on that level were, were on the same page, really. And he went to get Moussa Sissoko for 1.5 million euros. He went to get Johan Kabay, who Arsenal you know, turned down, for example, turned down the opportunity of sending Kabay. He went to Newcastle for 5 million euros. Mm. And, and they were great. They got to a point, though, where some of their choices, they went too much to France, you know, players Tuvain. like Gouffran. Yeah, there was a few, although... Tovan maybe was more down to the context. Though they didn't all work. They didn't all work out. But I think very early they recognised that it was a good market for them and for English football. If you were going to buy a talent from Ligue 1 for some bargain basement price, who would it be? Oh, man, you, I need a bit of time for that, James. Well, why, why not Malcolm? Yes, but Malcolm won't be cheap. That's the thing. Oh, really? Yeah, is he he's already? not a bargain. He's already that good that he, he won't go for less than 20 million euros. Who is Malcolm? But it's still a bargain. I mean, you... Yeah, I guess so. But I'm not sure Newcastle, for example, as we were talking about them, yeah. can, can pay 20 million euros. Who is Malcolm? Malcolm is a, is a Brazilian winger who um, who is only 20, but has been outstanding this season in, in Ligue 1. And, and also last season, he, he, he had a bit of time to adapt to the league but it's been fantastic four assists and three goals this season as many oh. assists as Neymar for example Bordeaux third in the league and beaten in, in the last 13 games in, in Ligue 1 it's, it's a lot down to Malcolm and his movement when he's on the ball he's fantastic he creates so much and he, he's relentless in, in how he attacks all the time and he, mm. he's a very interesting player Alright well, and who are Bordeaux playing this weekend Jules? PSG James Wow is it home or away? Away in Paris where they have a bad record uh, in the last few years right? but they've been playing so well they're, they're so well organised they've, they've been really clever the way Jocelyn Gouvenek the, the young bright managers has, mm. has lined them up so far this season and it'd be a really good test from PSG who might still be a bit on cloud nine after the Bayern and all that thing and maybe yep. not so ready for the contest that Bordeaux are going to bring right well I know a lot of people will be disappointed that Malcolm is a winger and not playing in the middle but you know <laughs> what can you do isn't uh, that I kind of yearn for the days when Brazilian footballers were called like Ronaldinho and Ronaldo rather than Fred and Alan and Malcolm just sounds like an Australian bowling attack from the 1980s <laughs> ah. yeah, nicely done Man United Michael Man United another four goals we're only in September they've already scored Four goals on five occasions wow. this season. It's crazy, isn't it? Lukaku, uh, once again, uh, with a brace away at uh, CSK Moscow. But exceptional night as well from Martial. Uh, Mohamed Moualim pointing out, Man United's last seven goals. Mkhitaryan with the assist from Martial. Lukaku with the assist from Martial. Martial himself. Lukaku with the assist from Martial. Lukaku, Martial and Lingard with the assist from Martial. This is extraordinary, given that he, he's rarely a starter. Yeah, I think he might have benefited from the fact that there's not so much pressure now. You know, he came in with an extraordinary price tag at the time before the fees had become quite astronomical as mm. they have over the last year. And there was so much pressure on him. And now they've got Lukaku and they've got Pogba. 
Um, he just seems to have been, you know, forgotten in maybe a good way. He's come in and he's just done his bit towards the end of games. And now when he's starting, he's scoring goals as well. Seb Martella says, has Mourinho's insane treatment of Martial and Mkhitaryan actually worked? Martial, he hasn't started back-to-back games since May. Um, and you'd expect him to play against Palace hmm. um, at the weekend unless he was taken off with a slight injury. But as you said, considering his um, how productive he's been, I think it's time for give him a run of games. Martial needed a bit of time to adapt and to realise that now he's, he has to be a big boy, you know, in a big cl- in a huge club with a big manager as well. He can't just wait for someone to say, come here, Anthony, and let me show you what you have to do a bit better. And, you know, you're a very good player and this and that. This is not, not going to happen anymore. So he needs to take his own responsibilities. And I think he's done that. Although, as much as I like him as well, mm-hmm. the two big games he had were against CSK Moscow, who were really bad. Yeah. And against Burton Albion, who are, no offence, really bad. Okay, the Berezovsky so, brothers. No, 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 but yeah, Berezovsky and Ignacevic last night were just horrendous. So I'm just thinking if, you know, when he will do that in a much bigger game, oui. then I'll say, okay, I've seen the improvement, I like what I'm seeing. But those two matches, I think it's hard, as good as he's been. You know, and against Stoke, there's that, there's that clip that you see against right. uh, Duf. Well, against Palace, he, you'd probably fancy his chances, wouldn't you? But again, it would be a, again, it would be a game that you know everybody is good against Palace this season. So yeah. I, I, I want him, I want to see him being like that in bigger game against the, the the big boys. The thing I like about Manchester United at the moment is I'm not sure who their key player is. You could say it's Lukaku, you could say it's Pogba. People have talked about Matic, but it's not just based around one man. And you know the teams that win the title usually are, are good functioning teams rather than just entirely based around one individual. Fair point. Palace have gone 630 minutes, seven matches since scoring a goal in the Premier League. That was back on May the 14th. And now they've lost Christian Benteke as well. One one bright spot for Palace has been um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, a player who, mm. you know, a lot of people who watch youth football and who follow Chelsea were very positive about. And uh, he's been playing in the kind of number 10 position. And his movement is fantastic. He's very good on the ball. It's a real shame about Benteke's injury for him because he's obviously the kind of player who needs a big man to play off. But uh, it's good to see him getting game time and I think Hodgson's system might suit him well. Right. Looks like being a tough afternoon though for Crystal Palace when they travel to Man United. Let's take another little break and then let's mop up some of the other stories from midweek in Europe. Listeners, like a stat, have a go on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. If you're listening on Thursday and your name is Killy Cates, happy birthday to you. And then happy birthday to you if your name is something else and it's your birthday, frankly. Totti's birthday yesterday. Yeah, that's right, on Wednesday. Yeah. It's my birthday next week. Mm. On a similarly heartwarming note, here's Nah writing in to say, is there any sweeter storyline this weekend than Simon Grayson potentially losing his job against the side he left the day before, uh, the day that pre-season started? Uh, Grayson teetering on the brink after Sunderland lost 5-2 against Ipswich. Uh, when was that? Was that midweek? Yeah, it was midweek. Yeah. And next up, they got Preston North End. I'll tell you what, if you want to hear about more of that kind of thing and the big match between Preston North End and Sunderland, you need the Totally Football League show. His uh, Oh, hello. Sorry, no, just no about, yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fran Escriba in, in La Liga oui. 
was the Getafe manager and was sacked last year after losing to Villarreal, mm-hmm. then became Villarreal manager and was sacked this season after losing to Getafe. No way! Which I thought was funny. <laughs> oh, you must have chuckled at that. Counter Culture writing in, uh, citing one or two of our early Champions League predictions, uh, specifically that Benfica would be the tournament surprise package. How did they get on this week? Lost 5-0 to Basel. Who said that, though? Who said that? I think I that was Rafa. I'm going to say uh, Rafa. Rafa. Yeah. 5-0 to Basel. Yeah. Portuguese press nice. saying, Vergonha. Ooh, yeah, shame. shame. Uh, what else, apparently, did we say? Timo Werner would be the breakthrough player. Did he have a good week, Timo Werner? <laughs> yes, Rafa. Yeah. It's a great story. That's yeah. one of the stories of the week. Yeah. So tell us, Shows. Well, he, he had to come off after half an hour because he couldn't... He was aware of Besiktas. Aware of Besiktas, so he couldn't cope, apparently, with the uh, the noise in the stadium. And a few times, it's true, a few times you saw him with his with his fingers in his ears because mm. he didn't want to hear the... You know, and he had a bad headache and had he, to come off. He put off. earplugs in as well. He tried with... The, he, even the earplugs couldn't help him, apparently. Uh, yeah, but he must have a condition or something because noisy as it was, everyone else was dealing with it. He must have some kind of ear condition that made him especially sensitive to the noise. But he, he must have been great, great atmosphere, but... I think the yellow wall in Dortmund, where he has played before, yeah. is surely a very similar atmosphere than the one at Besiktas he had on on, a, on Tuesday night. So Another you know. big win there, anyway, for Besiktas. Anyway, what else does Culture Culture uh, remember that we said? We didn't have Kane as the golden boot, but, you know, early days. And we, apparently... It one, was August. It was August. <laughs> <laughs> one of us said that Spurs would be the worst underachievers and the Totally Football, Co- uh, totally football Show's account replying that in a sense they are because they, they've been the worst at underachieving in the sense that they haven't underachieved. At <laughs> all, that pretty much answers Culture Culture's point there. I mean, it's a mugs game, isn't it? Predictions. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen as Spurs take on Huddersfield this weekend? I think Spurs will win fairly comfortably. Huddersfield is a very well-organised team. Mm. Good at pressing, of course, like Spurs, but I think Spurs have got too much. Four sheets in their six games. Huddersfield, Huddersfield yeah. yeah they, they haven't played Harry Kane yet, have they? No, who, um, poor old uh, Mrs. Pochettino is mm. getting jealous because, uh, did you see what... Uh, he said he was in love with him. In She'd love with him, that, yeah. yeah. He said yeah. it again? He said it again, yeah. All right, well... But he also said that Kane's wife is now, uh, Fienzo, is, is, is jealous of him as well. Old man Groom saying, fair to say that Kane is making apple crumble. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Blaine pointing out... Then in the last six away games, Kane has scored 14 goals and Arsenal have scored six. <laughs> He's got six hat-tricks this calendar year. That's stupid. Yeah. Michael? I thought his second and third goals in midweek were really interesting because the first one was a kind of classic on the shoulder of the defence going in behind. The second and third, he took up very deeper positions and, and got in the, the zones for those cutbacks that I think defences find really difficult to cope against. And he's an interesting player, Kane, because for all his kind of incredible goal-scoring uh, statistics. He doesn't consider himself an out-and-out striker. You know, he took the number 10 shirt. He played a lot as a in a kind of deeper role when coming through at Tottenham. And uh, the second and third goals reminded me of, um, you know, as an Englishman, what I'm contractually obliged to say is the Teddy Sheringham oh. position for the cutback. And uh, it just shows, you know, he's really good all-around player, scores different types of goals. Um, and, and that's why he's scoring so many, because I don't think defenders really have, have figured him out. The, the third one is, is a one-two between him and Trippier. Where he got he got the ball really deep and played it to Trippier wide on the right and then kept running and finally you know found the space at the edge of the box for the header and and like Michael said is that movement as well people tend to forget when you talk about Kane and the finishing is brilliant and you know he's strong and he's quick and we saw that against Dortmund but I think that his movement off the ball has really improved as well with Pochettino. All right, well it looks like Trippier will probably be lining up alongside him again this weekend because such all year is suspended after picking up Spurs' first red card in 84 league games. Wow, really? Weekend. 
That's very impressive for a team who are so based on physicality and pushing up and committing into challenges. That's a great record. Mm. Elsewhere in Europe, hey, the 5-0 winners you weren't expecting, we certainly weren't, Basel, who bounced into second spot in Man United's group with an absolute caning of Benfica in real trouble. Spanish sides will rail beat Borussia Dortmund. That's the first ever win there. Fantastic goal from, from Gareth Bale. Wonderful, no? Oh, the technique. But also the, the ball from Carvajal as That's well. Fair, Very little yeah. kind of backlift on it. It was just a beautiful all-round goal. But the, the interesting thing here was Real Madrid kept getting in in exactly the same way because Dortmund were playing so high up the pitch. They mm. played diagonal balls. And it was all about... It was, it was a kind of constant storyline of whether Real Madrid players would square to each other in behind their defence or not and that's pretty much how Tottenham played against Dortmund mm. so you know Dortmund have got this incredible um, defensive record in the Bundesliga but they've come up against Tottenham and Real and they've just been exposed in exactly the same way mm-hmm. Sevilla beat Maribor they had a hat-trick from Ben Yedda all three Italian sides won Napoli beat Feyenoord at home Juve laboured a little bit against the Greeks at Olympiakos yeah but Allegri's saying intelligent patient performance alright ok <laughs> fair enough so yeah, they've won their last five in the Champions League and I've only conceded one goal at, at home this is sorry won the last five at home in the Champions League only conceded one goal in that time the worrying news perhaps uh, for Juventus is the fact that Sporting are looking quite dangerous in that group Sporting who Barcelona only scraped past uh, thanks to an, an own goal from uh, Sebastian Coates. Uh, they'll be facing Juventus next home and away. Uh, did you know, here's a Barcelona stat. Lionel Messi, their top scorer this season, 12 goals. Do you know who their second top scorer is? Own goals? It is. I watched the goal show. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we the own goals, goals show. Hey. Yeah. Own goals yeah, show. Nice. The other Italian side in action was Roma, mm-hmm. who... Looked like they were going to absolutely destroy Carabag, but ended up narrowly winning 2-1 away in Baku. Michael Cox saying, I'm a huge fan of Kara Karayev playing for Karabag, up there with Wolfgang Wolf managing Wolfsburg. Their manager is also called Gurban Gurbanov. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. I had some great Twitter responses for this. Uh, Fernando Di Napoli used to play for Napoli, of course. Mm-hmm. Apparently Harvey Barnes this week scored for Barnsley. And mm-hmm. uh, the best one, which I think was from last season, if he pointed out that Hartley Paul had scorers called Hartley and Paul oh, in yeah, the same game. Which is also, great. Mikhail Jongsma saying, I've probably mentioned it before, but the assistant of FC Groningen is Marcel Groningen. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> Do you good. remember Flavio Roma? Yes. Who was from Rome, but kind of came through at Lazio. Yeah. I mean, if he played for. Roma, that, close. Yeah, that close, thin line. He didn't, yeah, yeah he also, didn't know. Okay. Also, uh, there used to be a player called Lee Norfolk, and he played for Ipswich. Of course, they're from Suffolk, which is very near. Yeah, yeah. we're struggling. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone too uh, far. Let's We've talk gone too instead far. then. After a heaping praise on Paris Saint Germain earlier, let's ask what on earth's going on, Jules, with the French champions Monaco, who started their Champions League campaign with a 1-1 draw. They got beaten 3-0 at home to Porto. This, of course, was a rematch of the 2004 Champions League final, and they lost it by the same scoreline. Equally worrying, no doubt, for Leonardo Jardim, is the fact that they've only had three shots in two games. Yeah. Is that because they sold off all their best players? No. Or is that too obvious? No, no, no. I think they are rebuilding the team, which is never easy because they lost so much talent and so many players in the summer. But... I don't think anyone expected this kind of performance. I think Jardim got the the lineup wrong. It was a similar lineup to the one that got batted for Nila Nice a few weeks before, um, with Jakavi playing up front with with Falcao, which I think everybody 
you know, kind of greener that it's just not working out. And Jovetic, who's played really well the last two games, will Falcao up front is, is a much better fit for Falcao. Uh, but Jovetic was left on the bench for, for most of the game. So there was a few choices from Jardim that were surprising. And I just think they were outpowered by this Porto team who was, I have to say, really impressive. The intensity they played with, Sergio Concesao is a, is a great manager, I think. And, and he's really got them playing really well. High-intensity football, Marega and Abubakar up front were running riots. Mm. I mean, Kamil Glick, was, it looked like he was his twin brother playing. It was, it was that bad. And Danilo Pereira in midfield, who, was, who PSG were interesting in him in the summer and almost signed him, was outstanding, I thought. The power... The, the intelligence in the, in the movement and everything was just fantastic. Jules, that's fantastic, but I feel we've heard enough about the midweek action. Still to come, we might touch on one or two of the Thursday fixtures, but uh, but uh, we're, we're all sorts of other interesting stories from around the wider world of football. Do these count as interesting stories? Do they, Michael? Uh, Bournemouth Leicester? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the games happening this weekend. Yep. Stop me if you if you want to leap in here, any of you boys. Uh, Bournemouth taking on Leicester. Cherries have lost four of their last five, whilst the Foxes have had a win and a draw from their first seven. So that's not very good. Hey, uh, Stoke uh, taking on Saints. Just one win so far for Stoke. It could be in the bottom three by the end of the weekend. How about that? They weren't even Can... that good in their win against Arsenal. I think they were very lucky. Mm. Can we see um, Darren Fletcher at the back again, please? Because that was really funny. <laughs> That was really work out too well. Kurt Zuma's back though, no? Yeah. 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 West Brom are taking on Watford, uh, which is interesting. West Ham, meanwhile, are taking on Swansea. Swansea yet to concede a goal away from home. But don't expect them to do too many shots or anything like that at the London Stadium. Hammers won both meetings last season. Uh, perhaps you'll find Everton's clash with Burnley more to your taste. Uh, Burnley, after all are four games without a defeat, and they've been brilliant on the road. Uh, they've taken five points from trips to Chelsea, Liverpool and Spurs so far. Are they going to get more points away at Goodison? I think they could well cause an upset. This is an interesting game because Everton have a lot of very talented players, um, but they don't really have any structure or any organisation. And I think what Sean Dyche has done at Burnley is very effective. And I think if Everton look to play on the front foot and dominate possession, that could very much play into the hands of Burnley, who are good on the counter-attack and uh, just defend very well. The, the two banks are four. It's a kind of old-fashioned approach, but it works very well for them. All right, problems for uh, Everton. Jagielka has a hamstring problem. Michael Keane is also a doubt, because former Burnley player you say an upset potentially for Burnley the last time they won at Goodison was far off January 1976 when ABBA with the sound of a fresh generation coming through with uh, Mamma Mia having knocked uh, Bohemian Rhapsody off the top of the charts yeah and what's what's uh, interesting about that oh is uh, is what is the queen the, uh, someone told me this fact the other day I found quite interesting hmm. Queen song Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't yeah. say Bohemian Rhapsody in the ta- in the song. Right, but Mamma Mia very but much mam- does. But Mamma Mia is in Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Wow, it'd be interesting if if Mamma Mia then mentioned Bohemian Rhapsody. You just go on forever. Wow. Two great songs. That much is beyond. Yeah. I suppose this question. game could be a case of Umania. Umanias, no? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Oh. Yeah. That's, is... that's well done, actually. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Nias, uh, Ben Marlow uh, was writing and talking. He said, oh, yeah, I love the chat about XG, but what about X-ass? 
Uh, and he says, I was joking, but uh, they are actually, it is a real thing. Ex- yeah, the expected assist. God. Nias has nil ass this season. Oh. According to Ben Marlowe. So you take that up with him. I mean, I, I thought X ass would be, you know, goals scored from being a substitute, I, which I is 83% ass in, a, yeah. in the ass's case. The, right. The yeah. problem with expected goals is the name. Expected goals is a terrible name, but it's a really good measure. Okay, what would you call it, Michael? Something to do with shot value around that. Okay. It's like, you know, everyone knows shots. You know, you look at the end of a game on TV mm. and they say 15 shots. All expected goals does is, if it's a really easy open goal from one yard, you count that as one. Mm. And if it's a shot from the halfway line, you count it as 0.01. And then you add that. And instead of getting 15 shots, which has no context, you get... You know, two point seven. I, I do take, but expected goals sounds like the sort of thing you'd say about Man City taking on Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah, you know, I expect goals. If, if you change the name, I think people would be more open to it. But it's on Match of the Day now; it's become established. So well, it hasn't in my household. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, Arsenal are taking on Brighton. Arsenal, of course, have got to make that long, long journey to the home of the tractor, Bate Borisov. Uh, you mentioned birthdays earlier. Yes. On uh, Sunday, it's. Uh, Bruno Sautor's birthday, the Brighton right back, hmm. uh, and he's 37, and his birthday present is taking on Alexis Sanchez, so I think maybe it's not a very happy birthday for him. Well, we shall see. Of course, Arsenal have been in action since last we spoke. They had that game at home to West Brom, didn't they? Lacazette. Lacazette, yeah. yeah. Scoring in, in three home games oh. in a row for the first time for an Arsenal player since 1988, I think, which is a pretty good record that even you know, Thierry Henry, for example, didn't, didn't do. Brighton won against Newcastle last weekend, unless my memory. But their goal Failed scorer me. is suspended. Tom Ahead. Yeah, Tom Ahead. Hemed. Hemed. How come he's suspended? For violent conduct for a stamp on Dandri Yedlin. Oh, of course, yeah. He stamped on his head a bit for the goal, and then he stamped on his calf <laughs> later on. It's like right. a double stamp, even. Oh. All right, then. The only thing that's more exciting than all of those games in the Premier League is, James, the weekend's action in Syria. Here's a quick question for you. This is Aaron. Who uh, brings up a, a, a subject that's been bubbling away for years now? Will a drop to eighteen or even sixteen teams in Syria happen? And why do most of the promoted teams so out of their depth? <laughs> well, they, well, there's once again quite a healthy kind of momentum towards reducing the number of Syria sides. Yeah, I mean, there's the political will from uh, the president of the Italian Football Federation, and mm. uh, particularly some of the big clubs uh, in Syria. But it's kind of like asking turkeys to vote for Christmas, um, and I think. Getting this over the line is is going to be very difficult for them to do, even when you've got someone like Carlo Tavecchio um, uh, pushing it. Uh, but I think, you know, to answer that question in full about the promoted sides and just, yeah, you know, we see it more and more that clubs are coming up on the back of double promotions mm. and they're kind of finding themselves um, out of their depth. Uh, we saw it with Frosinone a couple of years ago. We're seeing it with Benevento and Spal, who were great kind of romantic stories of taking the momentum from getting up from the third division to the second and then to the first. But um, particularly in Benevento's case, for example, it does look like a bridge too far. And we saw, I think, a fortnight ago in Serie A, the promoted sides get beaten by an aggregate score of 11-0. And OK, I think they were taking on top six sides, but you'd, you'd like to see kind of more competitive balance even in those games. Well, even when they take you on sides down the, you know, the, the nether ends, like Crotone Benevento get beaten 2-0 uh, last yeah. weekend. Um, they have, I think, possibly one of the best nicknames in football, <laughs> the Witches of the South. Yeah. But one of the worst records, and they've lost all six games, they've conceded 16 goals and scored only one. Yeah, and uh, they're called the Witches because, of course, there were witches in that, mm. uh, in that part of Italy. They used to just... Um, 
sort of congregate under walnut trees and uh, and take them easy, you know, if you're a witch hunter. Yeah, and also, but well, actually, they were they were shapeshifters as well. Oh, they, they would sometimes appear as goats or even dogs. Yeah. So what 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 the citizens of Benevento would do? They'd either, they'd leave like a uh, a brush hmm. outside of their door or a bag of salt. And uh, the kind of in- intent behind that was so that the, the witches would have to count every hair in the brush and count every grain of salt. Why? Were they kind of obsessive? Or... And if, if they did it before uh, the sun rose, yes. they could obviously get into the house. Ah. But because there were so many you know, hairs to count right. or grains of salt to count, the sun would come up and they would have to go away. Wow, first with yeah. household tips, totally yeah. football show. That's crazy. <laughs> Initially, there are lots of areas. So that was the area. It's just south of Naples, Benevento, no? Yes. So there's lots of areas in Italy where supposedly witchcraft is rife. South of Rome, mm. uh, the Castelli Romani, I think, that they are, or the Colli Albanese. Yeah. Uh, but also around Turin, mm. that's probably the number one focal area to this day for the dark arts. Yeah. I mean, well... Well, certainly when people... <laughs> certainly when, uh, yeah... Yeah, well, we saw, we saw yeah. Andrea Agnelli get banned for a year um, mm. this week um, for um, uh, selling tickets um, to ultras. That was, you know... Um, and those ultras, because they were making a lot of money from it, drew the attention of uh, elements of organised crime. Right. Um, people connected to the Calabrian Mafia, the Andrangheta. So um, not, a, not a good look in that case. But yeah, especially if a man has just been elected... Well, yeah. Head of European football, no? Yeah, and to be honest, I mean, Agnelli, look, he's, the, he's a modernising force for the, for the game uh, in Italian football. He's improved ticket sales. <laughs> yes, <laughs> at least, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, which is a shame because, you know, he has done uh, more than anyone to drag Italian football into the 21st century. Um, but, um, but yeah, Benevento play Inter uh, this weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, if uh, Benevento wear the colours yellow and red, um, which was the kind of the colours of the label of the um, the liqueur that uh, that is made down there, which is named after the, the witches, Listerega, mm. which is like a kind of it's kind of a it's a very floral kind of uh, yellow kind of saffrony liqueur. Mm. Yeah. Graham Griffith says, "Please don't do an Aberdeen on my beloved Napoli." It's all very well giving uh, deserved praise to Ciro Martins Mertin's goal, but don't jinx them like you did the Dons a few uh, years back. They're hosting Cagliari. Uh, Napoli this weekend. The big game, though, James, is, of course, Sunday's Milan-Roma, especially because, bizarrely, the papers this week are full of talk that Vincenzo Montella, former Roma manager, is now living on borrowed time on the bench at Milan. What, they've lost two games all season. <laughs> they've won all their other matches. Why, why is he under pressure? I think it's a reflection of just how high the stakes are for Milan uh, this season um, because um, they have to qualify for the Champions League just on on how the takeover of the club was, was structured. They need that income, and particularly after the amount of money that they spent um, in the summer on buying a new team. And that's, you know, the chief executive, Marco Fassoni, came out after the defeat to Sampdoria at the weekend and said... Um, yeah, we expected there to be teething problems, but not to lose twice in six games and lose to, yeah, we can lose to a team like Lazio, for example, but not Sampdoria. Mm. Um, and yeah, some worrying signs for for Milan. Um, we've seen Montella um, sack his fitness coach um, this week. I think you know you could expect this to happen in some respects because yeah, they've they've put a, they've bought an ent- entire new team. Mm. Um, it's not like they're down in the bottom half or anything. No, but I think I think the expectation was that they would um, compete for a Champions League place quite comfortably, and maybe even push 
um, Juventus and Napoli for the title. Already, even though it's early days, that seems to be getting away from them. I think it's quite interesting that Roma, one of the clubs that they were expecting to maybe um, overhaul, um, because you know Roma lost the likes of Chesney, Rudiger, Salah um, in the summer. Roma have actually um, yeah been decent um, so far um, in, in uh, this season. Yeah, they've won all but one of their games, and their only defeat was against Inter, which for 70 minutes they completely outplayed into one nil up should have had a penalty hit the woodwork three times so yeah I think this comes at quite an inopportune time really for uh, Montella um, because yeah I, I wouldn't be surpri- surprised I think Roma are further along um, and much more of a team at the moment than, than Milan are Carlo Ancelotti is free that's Milan. true Jules how nice alright well thank you so much for being with us today Jules thank you for having and me. James Horncastle and also Michael Cox and you listeners will be back on Monday So do make sure that you join us then for now. From all of us here, it's goodbye. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com.